The A Woman's Soul Restored podcast talks about the things in life that can flip our lives upside down. Topics are discussed that will give you hope, help you to discover that there is light at the end of the tunnel, and that you are not alone. LaTanya and her guests do not focus on the turmoils that disrupts life, but on the victory that is birthed from hurt and pain. The topics may be hard to hear, but necessary for awareness and growth. LaTanya has a bachelor's in human services with a minor in psychology. She has not only helped women over the last four years through this podcast, but has dedicated her life to helping others in whatever way she can. She is living proof that rape or sexual abuse or any trauma does not stop your life, but purpose can come from personal tragedy. She has been the founder and president of a nonprofit for over 20 years, a published author of many books, an ordained minister, and has a sincere heart for helping others. Helping women be healed and restored, helping to overcome various trials and adversity, and bringing awareness to different issues has been the standard of the podcast for the last four years. Welcome to the A Woman's Soul Restored podcast with LaTanya Y. Hendry. Welcome to another episode of the A Woman's Soul Restored podcast, and I am LaTanya Y. Hendry. It is so good to be back on track recording for tomorrow, which will be Sunday, late Saturday afternoon. It's 10.56, looking at some football today and just um, really putting things into perspective about life and the things that happen to us in life that can set us back a bit. But today I want to talk about how do you start over from nothing. After coming out of a marriage or um, getting back on track from being raped or from counseling for sexual abuse or when you're just ready to get on the road back upward, how do you do that? So today we're going to be talking about that. How do you start over? And we're going to talk about three different scenarios of starting over. So I'm not going to take a break today, which in about either next week or the week after, I'm going to have some announcements. Then we're going to be doing breaks again. But until then, no breaks. I'm going to get right into the topic. So we know the routine either get you something to fit your weather situation down here in savannah is cold we have had uh and i know a lot of the country is under a freeze warning um having some temperatures that have really dived to the single digits we are in the i think right now it's like 44 something 44 or 34 something like that 
but it's cold. Um, it's even a certain part of the house, which I'm not in my office, I'm in the den. The den is a little chilly because it's an add-on, and I think at some point we're going to have to check the system out to see, because in the summertime when we first moved in, this part of the house was really hot. Um, it wasn't outside hot, but it was still hot. And as the weather changed, in here changed. So it's at night, it's, I'm usually up either doing something with the laptop or uh, I've gotten into looking at the food shows. I like um, Hell's Kitchen and um, some of the others. But I love Gordon Ramsay. I just love the style. Um just no nonsense and straight to the point about making his coin. So I have no problems with Mr. Ramsey and how he does, but I love Hell's Kitchen. Um, it's a couple of other shows that he has produced and, and really active on, and I, I try to catch all of them when I can, but I binge watch on Hulu. So I do a lot of that down here. Because it's separate from the rest of the house. And I don't want to be waking everybody up because I got the TV on. So I'll come in the den with my blanket and just really um, settle in. But it's a little chillier down here. So, um, and tonight, it's not too bad because I've been moving around a lot. So if I was stationary, it probably would be a little chillier than I would like. So I have me actually a cup of hot chocolate. Because I'm not a coffee drinker, and I rarely drink tea. I drink herbal tea, but not like iced tea. I can't stand iced tea. And if you check a couple of the episodes early on, I explain why I don't like iced tea. But I, I, I have a disdain for it. But I will drink herbal tea, hot herbal tea, um, and I'll drink hot cocoa. So I have me some hot cocoa without marshmallows, just the cocoa. Um this is actually my second cup, so and this will be my last cup, so I don't want to be up tonight. I'm already going to be up because I'm cooking. Um, so I got my pigtails on. I'm going to make me a long pot for tomorrow. I got the pigtails in with the vinegar, cooking it down for about 30 minutes, and then I'm going to add the neck bones and cook it for another 45 minutes before I add my butter beans in there and just let it slow cook. So, looking forward to a good meal tomorrow. i cook my rice and probably fry some chicken and do a cornbread tomorrow. But I'm doing the pot tonight so that it won't take a long time tomorrow. Um, we're having church over the line again, so I'm planning on staying in because it's going to be extremely cold tomorrow. And our weather warms up. Later in the week, I think Tuesday is like 65, and then by Friday it's up to 75. But it's supposed to rain. So, we, you know, we're in the south, and this is just how our weather is. we used to it, and we love it. So, anyway, getting into today's episode, after you get your whatever you're drinking, go ahead and pause. But I'm not going to pause. I'm going to continue to go forward. So, how do you start over from nothing after going through illness or going through domestic violence, going through the healing from a rape, from childhood sexual abuse? How do you start over from that? And I'm going to give you 
three scenarios today um, that we go through, but we don't even think about them at the time. And the first one would be starting over with the support of family. If your family was not a part of the abuse or um, sometimes when you're with someone, your family will withdraw from you because they see what that person is about actually before you do or they're willing to admit it before you do because we see it. I saw it with my ex-husband. I just was not willing to admit it. But sometimes family will pull away because they don't want to see you hurt. So because they don't want to see you go through what you go through, they'll make a decision to, well, you know, that's what she want to do, let her go ahead. Because I have done that myself. On the other end, I have tried to talk to people about what I've seen or if they talk to me because I try not to butt in people's, my, my personal friends and family relationships. But if they come to me with something, I'll try to talk to them about what I've noticed about the person and and you know if they ask my opinion I give it most of the time it's not received which is fine because I know how to stay in my own lane and back away but when you decide to really make that move and separate yourself from that person and you're starting over if your family has tried to been there be there for you when you were going through it then nine times out of ten, they're going to be there to help you when you're starting over and when you're trying to transition to the life of being not a victim but a a survivor, being a thriver. And family support is very important. It's crucial because as you're starting over, you're going to need help depending on how you left your situation if you left your house because I've known some women that just up and leave everything and they physically left if they had children they left with their children or if it was just them they just left but they were more concerned about getting out of that situation than staying and trying to get stuff so family is very important in your step back to recovery your step up to finding who you are and getting back on that trajectory of just loving you and not being in an abusive situation or coming out of counseling and now it's time for you to live your life and you just don't know where to start. Family will be there for you in those moments when you just don't know what to do and you're throwing your hands up in the air wanting to give up because you really want to start over and don't know how but family is the support and a close-knit family especially will help you through those times if it's anything from a place to stay to giving you a few dollars when you're in need that family that strong knitted family will help you especially when you leave a domestic situation because they're happy that you standing on your own two feet and they're going to do anything they can to help you so If you have a strong family support, you don't have to look for much else because a large family or small family, the support is the support. And they will be there to help you, to help you get grounded and back to a place of 
mental solidarity in your mind and knowing that you're going to be okay. You have your family with you. You have whatever you need. They'll help you with it so long they see that you're not trying to go backwards and go back to that person or um, that the counseling really helped you and you're ready to move forward. Then your family will be there. So learn how to not be so puffed up in what you want to do and lean on your family and know that they love you and have the best interest in mind for you and they just want to see you happy and see you succeed and get out of whatever you were in so it's not much to say about that because that's self-explanatory about the help of family but now we want to go to the second one which is family with no support and this could be a variant of things why your family don't want to support you sometimes it's because when they tried you turned them away and now that you're free and you're trying to find your way back and you're ready they might just decide that you're going to have to do this on your own because when they tried you pushed them away and you sided with the person that was abusing you or the memories that had you in a place where you just didn't want to deal with anybody your family have feelings too and sometimes when you're ready they're still in that place of how you treated them when you were not ready when you sided with something else instead of siding with them when they were only trying to help you so that's one way not to have family support when they make a decision to let you truly stand on your own and you have to get through it and figure it out on your own but the second thing is that if your family just don't deal with you at all if it's a situation where where i've had a couple of emails in previous episodes where the family members were involved with whatever what was going on and when everything came out family really didn't believe it and made a stance against the victim and decided just to back away those kind of situations are hard because it puts you in a place of a conundrum because you love your family but you also know what you went through and you can't understand why you don't have the family support families are difficult it's difficult dealing with different personalities and different emotions and depending on who the accuser is and you're saying that now this person did whatever you're saying they did to you it can really draw a rift in the family and make people try to take sides if it's a father if it's a mother if it's an older brother even though it's older sister you know people don't want to believe the worst about their family so they will re-victimize the victim instead of trying to understand and really fathom could my family member have done this is this something that actually happened or even in my case where my grandmother knew what was going on and it never came out you know he died before i was old enough to really say anything about it and then she passed when i was 14 so it stayed buried for a long time and then i didn't remember what he did to me for for years um and i do think that was god blocking those memories from me to spare me because life was hard and to have that memory and then to go through what I went through in life, it probably would have been too much. I was talking to one of my nieces on the phone, I think it was Thursday, and I was explaining some things to her about forgiveness and life. And um, even though people, our family, uh, people that's close to us hurt us, 
biblically we have to forgive them but that doesn't mean we have to have them in our space just because we forgive them and it might not be the type of love that we would have for a family member that loves us back but we can love them from afar and we can you know forgive them we definitely have to forgive them but as far as being buddy buddy with them and letting them run to your house and you run to their house and y'all trying to hang out or whatever no you do not have to do that so the family that don't support is a tricky one because you don't know why the family is and they most of the times you might have one or two that may stick with you in in the truth but the rest of them they don't want to believe what you're saying about that person that you said did whatever to you or they may know it but feel that what's in the family is supposed to stay in the family and it's not supposed to be public y'all handle it within and now that you're saying something you're violating some kind of family code so they don't want to deal with you in those situations you have to learn how to do number three starting over with nothing and that's with no family, hardly no money, really don't know anybody. If you just pick up and go to another city or another state, how do you start over from that? And to be honest, the second one is the scenario that we don't want to be in. Because at least in number three, if you're going to do it alone, you're truly alone. And it's not that you're alone because your family has made a decision that you're a liar or for whatever reason they don't want to deal with you. So they made you be alone. So to think about it that way, that number three, even though it may seem, well, they don't have nobody. Well, that should help you get to where you get to a little faster because you know you don't have anyone and you know that you only can depend on you. And when you have that frame of mind where I don't have nobody to turn to, if it's just you or if it's you and your children, you know you have to make the best decision possible. And you know you have to you have to make that decision. And if you fail, you fail on your decision. And if you do well, you do well on your decision. But everything is encompassed around how you decide to handle whatever obstacle comes up or however you decide to proceed. But out of the three, the second one is the one that that is least favorable because who wants to think that they're alone when they have so many loved ones around them? And, and when it gets to a certain point that they're just family by name only and not by emotions or feelings or anything like that, they're just your family based on blood. That is very cold. Um, I can honestly say... And I have a brother right now that I'm not, um, we're not at odds. We just, and he's moved away to another, him and his wife moved to another state. But we're not on good ground right now because of something he did last year that I really thought was shady. But it, it, some people are just certain type of characters and you could either accept them for who they are you are, you can remove yourself. I made a decision to remove myself before he moved away. Um, I love him. I miss my brother. But some of the antics and, and things that comes with him 
comes with being who he is. And he's an older brother. So if I'm 56, this is somebody that's older than me. And I have a couple of older brothers, but this one in particular, we were very close. And not having him, sometimes it pulls because, yeah, he has the antics and, yeah, he does some stuff that really gets under my skin. But then this is out of my daddy's children. This is the sibling I met first. This was the first brother that I met um, when I came to Savannah at 14, and he was playing high school football. He was being scouted and everything, and then he got into a situation that he shouldn't have gotten into, and then that just kind of – he had a promising football career, a quarterback. And because of decisions, bad decisions that he made – all of that just went down the window and life just kind of took a bad turn for him and i that kind of had me at a good place with him because i knew his struggles i knew what he went through it's like he knew my struggles he was very supportive when i was going through what i was going through um and it's just it gets to a point when we get a certain age or when we become of a certain age i put it like that some things we should know better and we should they said a gray the hair gray hair means wisdom that is not always the case actually in these days and times we live in it's not the case at all we live in uh, an era where the gray hair is trying to keep up with the black hair and youth and trying to do things to stay young and not wanting to age so they're acting worse than the 21, 22-year-old when they might be approaching their 60s or beyond. So the gray hair does not always mean wisdom. And sometimes those people that we struggle against, those family members that's not supportive, are not young people because young people sometimes seem to understand more than older people do. Um, We're kind of cantankerous and set in our ways. And we can't see beyond what we feel we know. So if we feel we know something about somebody, nobody can tell us otherwise or nobody can tell us different. So it's like so-and-so did this, but the family's not going to believe that because they had their version of what who so-and-so is. Uh, let's just say grandpa, who grandpa is, and the grandpa might be your father. So they have this vision of who he is because he is letting them see who he wants them to see so yeah the grandchildren the ones in their probably teenage years or early 20s even mid to late 20s might seem to want to understand what you're saying and agree with you because they're in a, in, in this generation of openness and knowing what's going on and being more aware of the different faces of people. But when you start getting into probably your mid to late 30s, especially 40s, going on up to the 50s and 60s, whoo, child, you start talking about the 50s and 60s. These people will be set in who they think somebody is, and I don't care if you got pictures of what's happening. They're going to say, no, you had them photoshopped and that's not what happened and you just out to get this person and you telling lies and they will scandalize your name as opposed to holding this person accountable for what they did to you. 
So that situation, that number two scenario, that would be the one that I would be most fearful of. But that was the one I lived most of my life with my family not really being supportive of me. My sister is not on my mother's side. It was four children, and I was the youngest out of those children, but my sisters was not really supportive of what happened to me in my life and they had their own lives with their own children and I was not a part of that so I had to learn how to survive I had to learn how to figure things out for myself especially being a young mother I had to learn how to just whatever I got I got me and my daughter had a long conversation today and I was telling her that at least she has me I didn't have my mother I didn't have my grandmother my sisters that were supposed to be there to help me, they were not there. So whatever I got, I had to work hard to get. I had to get on my own. I had to figure it out. Yeah, it was mistakes along the way, but I had no one to go to to say, am I doing this right? Um, can you tell me what you did? You know, what do you see I need help in? What do you see I'm doing wrong? Or just to go and have a uh, sisterly talk with somebody. That's why when my best friend passed, well, now we're approaching, it'll be two years this year, Lord. When she passed in 2022, that was the person I would go to and talk to. And, and me and my siblings on my father's side, we have a very good relationship. And my sister that's still living, I have one that's still living on my mother's side, we have a good relationship. But Jen was my friend, my sister. She was more than a friend. She was more than a sister. She was that confidant that I can go to and talk to, and she knew she could come to me and talk. And when before me and family reconnected, before there was any of that, it was her. We were talking about a maybe 31, 32-year friendship. And in those years, I can honestly say, and that was the thing we hung on that, we never had an argument. We agreed to disagree. She understood I had my opinions about certain things, and I understood she had hers because we were two different people. But we were so much alike until a lot of the times we thought alike. Um, we were on one accord with how we thought about things, how we raised our children. Um, Hers was in reverse. She had the two boys, and then she had her daughter. And I had my daughter first, then she, I had the two sons. So but even how we reared our children, it was so similar. Um, that was truly my sister, and that was the person that, that was my go-to that I would talk to when I was feeling down, or she was three years older than me. So that was the person I went to for advice about how certain things should look what am I doing right as a parent what am I doing right as a woman how am I supposed to conduct myself in relationships this woman helped me in the steed of where my sisters my older sisters didn't so when she left when she left here when she passed on it was the most gut-wrenching feeling ever and I still think about her I still think about the times we had, I still think about when we were younger and both of us had, it was, well, I, she didn't have them. I had my blue contacts, I had my green contacts. We done had blonde hair. We done had 
it, we, we were two of the same people, but we had fun. We truly had fun with one another. And when those times got bad, she was the person I can go to. And when they got bad for her, I was the person that she could come to. So I truly, truly miss her. And life would not have been bearable if it wasn't for my good friend, my sister. I'm glad I had her during those times. But what about the person that doesn't have anybody? For whatever reason, they, they have to stand alone. A lot of those times, especially before I met her, because when my daughter, me and my daughter's father, went through our domestic situation, I, I didn't meet her yet. I didn't meet her until I was in my 20s. So um, I truly was on my own. When I got raped at 16 and my older sister came to the hospital, well, two of them came, and when they saw me, they, my older sister just pat me on my head and said, kid, you're going to be okay, and they left. I didn't understand why they came because there wasn't any kind of support. I don't know if they just came to see if I was alive or what kind of condition I was in because they didn't stay and they didn't come back. When I opened my eyes, because I think I was out for two days, and when I opened my eyes, both of them was there. I don't know how long they were there. And through the years, I never asked them how long were they there. But I know when I opened my eyes, my older sister pat me on my head and said, Kid, you're going to be okay. And they left. And um, they did not come back. And even after I came home out the hospital with my daughter, um, she had to stay a little, young, a little longer because she was such a preemie. Um, I had just turned seven weeks, so she was truly a preemie, and it, it was just a hard time, and going through that at a young age and not having family was truly a difficult season in my life, and whatever age you are, when you're going through difficult times and you have no one, that just makes it worse. That just adds to the stress of whatever it is you're trying to come back from. But now I'm going on another level because y'all know who I am. I have to take it to a spiritual level. We always have Jesus. We always have the comforter. Even when we don't acknowledge that we have him. Because for years I did not go in anybody's church. I did not claim to... Um, I wasn't an atheist, and I should have put my phone on silent, so that's on my that's on me. But um, I wasn't an atheist. I believed in the Lord, and I, I I raised up believing in the Lord. But as I was telling my niece the other day, I didn't set foot in anybody's church because I couldn't believe a God that they said loved us like He did. How could He? love me and I, I had done went through all I had done went through so I just didn't go but in the midst of me growing and understanding that God was with me even though I was not walking with him that he was my ever-present help in a time of trouble even though I didn't know he was I wasn't acknowledging he was I just thought that I was getting myself out of whatever I was in and it was all me no it's never all us it's never all us and like I told her when I finally decided that enough was enough and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired I just submitted and I was like Lord 
and haven't heard from me in years. But I need you. I need to know what to do because I feel like I'm losing it. I feel like I don't have control over anything and I'm tired. And when I finally said those words, I didn't recommit my life in church. I didn't go on a Bible study or do a church service. I gave my life to Christ in my bedroom on my knees, crying my eyes out because I had no food in my house and my I didn't know how me and my kids were going to eat. But I promise you not, two hours later, a neighbor that lived across the street, she was an older lady, she came and knocked on the door. She said she had went shopping and her daughter had went shopping behind her because they used to take turns and they didn't know that they were going to be shopping the same day, but they had a whole lot of groceries left over. And she didn't have a big freezer. She had a refrigerator freezer, and that was full. And she knew me and them kids was over there. Would we want some of the groceries? She said, now, I know some people may feel like, you know, we being nosy or whatever or feel proud and don't take it. And I told her, no, ma'am, I need the grocery, and thank you. That's when I knew it was a God that heard my prayer. And ever since then, I have been on fire for him. I have given my life to him, and nobody can tell me that there is not a God. I don't care what color he is. I don't care how his hair is. I just know that he is. I know that Jesus is. So that helped me get through those times when I had no one or the people I had were limited or the people that, that held my past against me, the one that said, well, you the one got pregnant at 16, or you the one had them boys back-to-back back like that, that that's your problem. When I had nobody, and I had people that came at me with that, that's when God was there with me. And I am so grateful, and I, I am so thankful that he was. Because life has not always been kind and just like, and I know life has not been kind for a lot of you because I read the emails. I know it hasn't. I know people personally that life has not been kind to them. We watch TVs with the documentaries where we see in this world we live in, not only in the United States, but worldwide. We have people that have gone through a lot in life and they don't know how to start over. Because take somebody that's been locked up for a while, for some years. When they get out, it's this thing called institutionalized to where you've been locked up so long till that's the only life you know. And some people do something to get go back because you're fed you you know you your basic needs are taken care of no you don't have freedom you're locked up and you can't go and come like how you want to but your basic needs are taken care of so when they come out and face reality of bills and having to get a job and all these different situations that happens when you're living life as an adult coming from a penal system that has taken care of you and yeah you brought your commissary but you ate you had a roof over your head you was not exposed to the elements and I know some prisons are really the bottom of the totem pole with the conditions but that's an episode for another day because I have my opinions about that as well but that's that'll be for another day because I know that's going to shock some people with what I say but I have my opinions about the penal system and the treatment that some people say that they have had in it. But I'm just going to say this. Don't do what you did to go in there. 
And you won't have to worry about the penal system. You won't have to worry about the people trying to take care of you because if you didn't do what you did to get in there. And I know a lot of people that are in there that are innocent, that didn't do what they were accused of. But more of them are in there that's guilty than that are not guilty. So I'm talking to the ones that's guilty that did something to actually go in there and then they think that it's supposed to be... um, the, the royal treatment is supposed to be laid out for them. Now, I know certain conditions are horrible, deplorable, and no, no human being should be subjected to some things. But when you're talking about the food and proper seasoning and all of this, don't do what you did to get in there. Then you can cook your own food and season it like how you want to season it, and I'm going to leave that right there. Now, when you come to thinking about people, family, relationships, um, how we handle information, how we process information, how we feel if we, one family member, if we heard that they did it as opposed to another family member that we think is golden and wouldn't do anything wrong, and this has to be a lie, it's based on us. It's based on our perception and how we treat people when we hear information, how we treat the victim, how we re-victimize the victim, how we make the victim feel lord and dirt, how we make them feel like mud, how we make them feel unloved when we can't even believe something that they're saying because not because that we think they're lying, but because we put so much value in the person they're saying it about until... It's like it's impossible that they did this, so you have to be lying. In all three of these scenarios, is is ups and downs. But like I said, the second one, when you got family, but there is no support. That is the worst one. When you see family that's willing to help other people and you need help and they won't even help you. When you're trying your best to start over and they run up and down to help other people and they're there for whoever but they're not there for you and you have to try to figure it out on your own. That's worse than, than, than just starting over with nothing and no family. It's worse because, like I said earlier, at least you know everything is on you and you have to make the best decisions. Everything falls on you. But when you have family but really don't have family because they've made a decision not to help you, not to support you, not to believe you, not just not with you, that's another layer of hurt on top of what you already went through when you're trying to start over. But it's harder because you don't have any help. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain if you have not been in that type of situation before, when you're like, yeah, I, I need help, but I, I just don't have no one to help me. But it it drives you, if you could get what I'm saying about that. It makes you know that if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. And when my ch- children were much younger, and it was really just me, that was my mindset. If I don't do it, it's not going to get done. So I have to make sure I'm making the best decisions for them. I have to make sure that I'm bringing the right people around them, which is why I hardly brought anybody around them because I was 
more to the point of beyond overprotective because I didn't want to have to hurt somebody over my children. So I didn't bring nobody around them. Um, a few friends, few co-workers, but no, even though I partied, I didn't have the parties when my children were home. When they were spending the night to my sister that Friday or that Saturday night, that's when I would have a house party, and house parties were the thing back then. But I was very guarded with them, very protective. Um, that's why I don't understand a lot today of what goes on when parents don't protect their children or they sell their children for drugs or they sell their children to get whatever they trying to get when they murder their children. I, I don't understand that because even as a young lady, as a as a as a sixteen year old that had become a mother, I was always protective of my daughter. Always. And even I was talking to her today, I was like, you're gonna be forty in March. I'm the mother of a, about to be 40-year-old, if God blesses her to see it, on St. Patrick's Day. She would be 40 years old. Just to think that all these years, watching her grow from that baby that was in the incubator that they didn't know was going to live or not because she was born so early and they didn't have the technology that they did now because un- uncannily, my granddaughter was born when my daughter was seven months pregnant so she was I think she was in her third week of the seven month pregnancy when she started um the labor procedure started the labor and they had to put in the hospital and and by that night and I I wanted to get to her so bad she was not home yet she was up in Ohio and I couldn't get to her. I I just, I ached because that was my first granddaughter and I wanted to see, I had planned to be there when she was supposed to be born, <laughs> which would have been that September. But she decided to make an early arrival on July 20th and I really wanted to be there, but things just happened so fast I couldn't. But she immediately sent pictures, and I I seen the little baby, and I thought about my daughter when she was a preemie, and it's just, it's it just makes you think when when now she's forty, my granddaughter's five, you know the years are not standing by for us; they're steadily going by. But the thing you need to remember when you're starting over is, yeah, you could try to research, you could try to find things to help you and assist you but the thing to remember is you have to do what's best for you you have to or if you have children you have to do what's best for you and your children unfortunately there are no set rules just to make sure that you're healthy and safe and that you keep your children healthy and safe but whatever you do that's productive for you to start over fresh or to not make step backwards but to always be going forward even if it's small baby steps but just to continually go forward life will be good and not saying that it's not going to be obstacles that come up but you know better how to deal with those obstacles and you soon find out that those obstacles become few and far between as you learn how to navigate whichever one of these scenarios that you're in but 
you'll learn that life is full of ups and downs and in the midst of those up and downs you just have to learn how to make the best of it and do the best you can to live and live the best life that you can as beautiful and as lovingly as you can so I want to give out the number to the National Domestic Violence Hotline because if you're coming out of a domestic situation, this would be the number to call for help, for guidance, for to report. 1-800-799-7233. And I know that number by heart. I give it out enough. But 1-800-799-7233. Call that number if to just to, to speak with someone. Help is available. Help is available for that situation. And I lean more towards domestic violence because that is my background, domestic violence. Um, yeah, rape and child sexual abuse, that's my, that's my background too. But the domestic violence that's near and dear to my heart and I, the most of the women I counsel is domestic violence situations. So, yeah, 1-800-799-7233, the domestic violence hotline, they're there to help. They're there to support. They're there to help you in your starting over and you're trying to leave. They will talk to you. They will help you through the harder times, the hardest of times. They will be a guiding force to help you get back on your feet, to give you um, information to help you find you and get back to you. So that's my episode this week of how to do you get started from nothing. And it depends on what your nothing is. Sometimes nothing truly is nothing. No furniture, no money, no house, no nothing. But even in that, you there is a come up. There's a come up and there's a setup for you to be better. Any obstacle that looks like it's going to defeat us, doesn't defeat us. It just makes us stronger. So keep that in mind. It could either beat you, you could let it beat you, or you can let it increase you. You could let it build you up to the person that you want to be in order to start over and make the best life for you possible. So for this week, I thank you for listening. This is Latanya Y. Hendry with A Woman's Soul Restored. You all be blessed. And stay warm. Don't go out unless you have to. Be blessed. You have been listening to the A Woman's Soul Restored podcast with LaTanya Y. Hendry. If you like what you have heard, Share the link and hit the support link as well to share this message worldwide. If you would like to reach out to LaTanya, send her an email at awomanssoulrestored at gmail.com. You can also reach out on Facebook at A Woman's Soul Restored. Also, check out the website at www.livelifenowlovelifenow.com. Join us every Sunday for a new episode. Until next week, you have too much life to live to not be restored. Be blessed, but also be a blessing as well.